Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. another episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Edwards, and with me, of course, the sequel featuring the children of the Atom to my large and expandable game engine, Mr. Robert Lundgren. How you doing, buddy? Hello, hello. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Another one-taker, baby. Yeah? I'm I try. i forward to these now. This is a good... This is almost like doing the Wordle, you know? <laughs> well, let's see what linguistic puzzle Mr. Lundgren has come up with today. True... True, true, true. As always, let's get this sucker started with a big old thank you to our patrons over at Patreon. You guys are helping us keep the light on and the servers humming and our questionable humor uh, a rolling. And I might also add keeping us in a steady stream of questionable movie choices. Mm. I don't, no, we haven't had any questions. Not this week. Not this week. Not this no. week. No, no. We're, Thankfully. We're fine. But the lawnmower man still sings. Uh, Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. All right, all right. So, Jonathan, on another note, happy National Richter Scale Day. Hey, that's always a good. This is this is the holiday that shakes. <laughs> on April 26th of each year, we honor the inventor of the Richter Scale, Charles F. Richter, who was born on April 26, 1900, and died, sadly, on September 30th, 1985. And uh, he first used the scale in 1935. And uh, yeah, go ahead and use that hashtag if I can find it. It's buried in this one. There we go. Oh, yeah. It didn't even, not much of a guess. Go ahead and use that hashtag. Hashtag National Richter Scale Day. Pretty easy. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, fun fact about the Richter Scale that you learn when you live in an earthquake-prone area your entire childhood. That is not a a one-to-one scale. Every time a number goes up by one, you're actually seeing a tenfold increase in power. It's exponential. It's like uh, it's like the warp drive in Star Trek. Yeah. So if you go from a 1.0 to a 2.0 earthquake, that's 10 times the force. And when you get to a three times, it's 100 times the force. And then at that point, you're really starting to feel it. True that, true that. Also, we got a Department of Corrections, Jonathan. I Oh, no. I miscounted the Stephen King list, uh, and I forgot to put needful things on it. So, yes, I have corrected <gasps> that. Don't worry. We didn't skip it. I, we haven't gotten to it yet. So don't worry about it. Don't worry about that. All okay? Right. Yeah, I just, I, we, I realized. We can't miss needful things. I realized it wasn't on the list looking at the list. Uh, Man, that's, uh, that was close. That's the same year, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, the, exactly. And and uh, one of the characters that was in the movie we watched this time, he's also in Needful Things. And so I, I read that bit of trivia. I'm like, is th- wait, is that on the list? And then I looked and it's not. So, yes, this is now officially a 41-part series because the count of 39 was incorrect. <laughs> and by the time we get done with this, it will for sure be a 42 because there has been a preview released of Firestarter. So that will get on to the end of the list, I'm sure, by then. I, I remember I was working in a movie theater when Needful Things came out and it had a great one sheet. Yeah, yeah, no, and the and the, the preview was great because they did in the hall of the mountain king. Yeah, and and just no, progressively it was, it was really showed well more marketed. craziness. Yeah, really yeah. well marketed. Not a great film. It was all right. 
It's all right. Um, also, I don't, th- um, I don't think it'll get on the bottom. I think it'll land solidly in the middle. I don't think it's possible to hit the bottom unless you do some really spectacular decision making. I know. Point. We I know. have established the Marianas Trench of movies at this point. I think it's fair to say. So I had an interesting conversation with Gina about this because she thought uh, the Lawnmower Man was worse than Carrie, and she asked me to explain myself. <laughs> like, like in a violent way? Like, did she no. kick the door in and say, you no, need to no, explain no. yourself to me, Mr. Lundgren? No, 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 no. She just wanted to know why I felt that way, because she felt that the portrayal of Job uh, was was way worse than anything in Carrie. And I, the best way I could describe it was um, when I when I owned a game store about... Uh, two to four times a year um, somebody would come in and they would find out that my wife was Asian and they'd get this look in their eye and they would like you know they'd draw me in and put their arm around me metaphorically speaking and say like oh your wife's Asian nice and it's like ew no 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 I'm I'm, bad take dude bad take and and that is very similar to Carrie Carrie I can never think of myself as approaching another human being that was married and making a comment like like, like that regardless of the the racial component that's just creepy I, I, to begin it, with it, yeah exactly but here's it's the like thing way overstepping a bound right and carrie did the same thing because it's yeah. directed with the male gaze so it's aimed at guys it's aimed at you and me and it draws us in and it says hey look at those 16 year old girls non-consentingly letting us look at them in the shower isn't that rad and it's like no no, no, Carrie, no, no, <laughs> no, 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 stop, stop. And, and, and that's only magnified by the fact that we both have daughters. I think that just makes us that much more sensitive about it because I've got a kid that's not that far off from that age group and that's not okay. What I like least about it is, it, I mean, it does kind of show its age and, you know, doing stuff like that was kind of acceptable. You know, it's like, oh, isn't it wacky fun? He wants to go peep on the girl's locker room. Oh, it's Porky's. And... Like, yeah, just like, I don't know, I just thinking about that now, it's real creepy, and it's real creepy that it's using language where it just assumes that you would like that, and that's that's kind of how that thing's filmed. It's like, you like this, right? And it's like, no, no, st- I don't want to stand there, next to you. There's a Carrie. lot of stuff from the 70s and 80s that did that, like, yeah. you know, Revenge of the Nerds, oh my oh, yeah, gosh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) that's an extremely troublesome movie if you look at it with modern eyes. Exactly, exactly. So anyway, that's why I, I like Carrie least. It's not... All things considered, yes, The Lawnmower Man is probably worse because it is much more, much more. It's offensive. definitely a worse film. Yes, but, but it's not I, the worst. I didn't like subject. how Carrie put it, put its arm yeah. around my shoulder and said, hey, you're just like me and, and just sort of assumed it. And I felt dirty from that. And that was a much more visceral response because maybe I'm closer to it. Maybe this is like privilege showing. I don't know. But that that is why I put Carrie on the bottom of the list. It, it actively repelled me. Because I guess I have more skin in that game. Uh, I don't know, but they're no, both terrible I, I, movies. I think they're that's awful. Def- oh no, no, they're they're both terrible, without a doubt. But and and I would I would say that maybe that you're right. There, there's an argument to be made about the quality of Lawnmower Man as a film. Carrie is creepy and wrong and yeah, gross. No, makes me feel gross on the inside, and that instantly puts it at the bottom. I don't know how else to quantify that. It, it made me feel gross. I don't like that. I don't mind if a movie unsettles me. Um, I don't mind if a movie challenges me. But if a movie makes me feel gross like that, mm-hmm. no, it's mm-hmm. unnecessary. I don't. That's yeah. not entertainment to me. That that's glorification of something. Anyway, I don't know. That doesn't right. need to be glorified. As with anything, this list is entirely our our nonsensical opinions and your oh, mileage yeah. may vary. However, I would say. 
Uh, Running Man on down on that list are, are probably movies not really worth watching. Running Man, maybe. It's kind of terrifically 80s, but there's a lot of better terrifically 80s Schwarzenegger <laughs> right. movies out there. Absolutely, there are. But, I mean, Running Man is a snapshot of a time period in every way, shape, and form. Right, but you could you could watch Commando or Predator. Predator came out the same year. <laughs> you know, like, if you want an 80s Schwarzenegger action movie, there's a much there's much better oh, ones yeah. out no. there. I, I'm not making excuses for the film. I just think yeah. it's, it's... You could even call it more of a snapshot than Predator because Predator being that it takes place in the jungle doesn't capture the, the colors and the vivacious aesthetic of the yeah. time. Whereas running man does. And, and that alone will always anchor it somewhat endearingly when I watch it, because it brings me back to, you know, colors and shapes and, and things that were so popular in my childhood, not make an excuse for the quality of the movie. It was a piece of crap, but uh, oh no, oh no. You thought I was going somewhere else, didn't you? No, I actually stopped paying attention because my wife brought me up dinner. And no, I, that's fair. I, yeah, I just, I kind of lost track of what was going on. God, you really so are I, like I, my work wife. My wife <laughs> does the same thing to me. I don't know what this all means. I think Sorry. it's not good it's, in terms of my ability to construct salient. It's bacon thoughts? wrapped chicken, Jonathan. Okay, but I mean, yeah, you're right. I can't even fault you for that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I feel bad. Now. Now, I can't even be mad at you because, I mean, yeah, I would have done the same for bacon wrapped anything. Except for bacon wrapped Carrie. I think I would have just taken the bacon. <laughs> I don't even know where that joke's going. All right, move around. I, I, yeah, I just, I had this vision of like a deep fryer and just wrapping up the DVD and tossing it in there. Just like, mm, <laughs> it's better if you deep fry it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, it's time for our first segment, and our first segment, as always, is our off-the-shelf segment. This is where we talk about all the wonderful things that we've had off the shelves and into our media players and or tables, and most importantly, into our hearts. Robert, where do you want to start? I I think I I dictated that we went down the list last time, so it's your turn to dictate. Uh, Let's, I'm going to pull the Uno reversal on you, and we're going to go bottom top. All right, sounds good. So let's uh, get started with some video games. Uh, yeah. So I remembered during Black Friday, I bought Fire Emblem Three Houses and just kind of saved it for later. And I forgot that I did. And then I, like I six months ago later. I know. So I, I, I've been playing that game. It is weird. And it was kind of it was kind of in the zeitgeist at the time. I remember people talking about it and kind of seeing memes about it, but I didn't really understand them. So it's kind of a weird experience playing it now because I've got this like basic osmosis like knowledge of it sort of but not enough because it didn't hit the heights that like animal crossing did or anything you know but uh yeah it's an interesting game it's a tactical role-playing game so you get a squad and it's in a fantasy world and basically you're like the it's kind of like it's kind of like hogwarts because you're like the leader of a house but you know it's not a wizarding school it's a like a military academy and yeah i don't know it's an interesting game you know i have it and i have I've I've barely played it, and that's not a fault of the game. It just I I use my Switch for portable gaming. Like, say if I have to go and be at a soccer field for six hours because my kid is practicing and then playing a game or things like that. And yeah, I just I haven't had a lot of need for that experience lately, and um, I feel kind of bad because I heard good things about the game. Yeah, no, it's fun. It's fun. Um, I just barely scratched the surface of it. Uh, you know, like I just 
got my character out of the first common class and into like a advanced class and stuff like and the story is just kind of rolling but it's got you know it's kind of game of thronesy because there's a lot of political stuff going on in the background that you're just sort of kind of seeing and yeah i don't know it's it's good i've been i've been having a good time it's it's been fun to play and and it's just it's su- it's such like a record scratch because the tactical combat is real deep and then you spend just as much time running around the academy doing like um, visual novel stuff you know like talking to people and building up relationships and you know things and it's like ah like I don't know what's going on here but it's 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 interesting there's choir practice because it's also a, re- a religious school the pope lives there actually or the 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 you know fantasy pope of the setting. Yeah, yeah, you know, like it's there's choir practice and you know making meals and <laughs> it's just so weird. And then like you're a professor because you're the you know you're like McGonagall, I guess. So like yeah, there's a whole section where you like teach the kids and it's like this is this is just a bizarre game, but I kind of love it. <laughs> uh, now I'm really curious to continue with it. So I think you need to text me and remind me to play it. I I would highly recommend it. I'll I'll maybe I'll start like texting you about it while I'm playing it. And I've fallen down the Stellaris rabbit hole a couple times, and I keep having bad starts, and the game's getting frustrating, so I should just play Three Houses all the time. Like, I shouldn't even bother with anything else. So what have you been up to, Jonathan? Uh, with video games, I haven't had a ton of time, but I have had a little bit of time, just enough to uh, jump in and play some Lego Star Wars, the new one that just came out. Oh, the Skywalker Saga? Uh, yes, and I'm quite having fun with it. The formula kind of started to get old and crusty, and they kind of acknowledged that and said, um, hey, you know, with this next one, we're going to do some new stuff. And lo and behold, they they really delivered on that promise in a big way. Uh, it's really quite lovely, the changes that they made. And they made it seem more modern, I guess, would be the right word. It, it feels less like, you know, an old side-scroller game that happened to be 3D um, and much more like a modern 3D experience. Oh, well, they shake up because the kids uh, found out I had a a Lego Force Awakens, so they made me install it. So so what's the difference? So remember how everything used to be reasonably side-scrolling or static screen, and then you roamed around with your Lego dudes and you, like, broke things, and you still break things and you still collect studs, but the whole thing is truly 3D and uses a 3D camera like uh, you would find in an adventure game where the camera's behind the character and you're moving it around. And and it, it's it's true exploration of a 3D environment rather than moving 3D characters through a, you know, it, while it might have been rendered in uh, 3D, it's not a 3D, actual 3D space for you to, to move around in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So this is, this is it just feels more modern because it is, in fact, a, a, a more modern gameplay style. Yeah, that reminds me of uh, the the Lego Agents game because they they were cribbing more off of um, Grand Theft Auto for that one. Yeah, and that's you could tell that that that's where they got their lessons from, and that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing at all. It's 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 it was a necessary overdue change for the series, and it has made it better. Well, that's good. I yeah, color me intrigued. I'll try to run it from the library. See how it is. And then uh, my wife out of nowhere, decided to randomly show interest in a video game. uh, And she bought Planet Coaster for the PlayStation and didn't know how to play it. So, of course, she comes to me under the assumption that I have a detailed tutorial for every video game ever made, even if I haven't played them (laughs) in my head, and asked me how how to play it. And I told her I had no idea. So, unbeknownst to her, 
it just happened to coincide with a Steam sale. So I bought it on Steam as well um, and taught myself how to play it. And as it turns out, it is actually quite reminiscent of our friend Jurassic Park. It borrows, well, I should say Jurassic Park, which came after it, borrows very heavily from it in terms of uh, gameplay style. I'd agree. Also, what's nice about the PlayStation version, uh, you can you can put in like a wireless mouse and keyboard bobble and actually oh, use the... Oh, I should do that for my wife because I think she would enjoy it a lot yeah. more if she didn't have to fight the controller as much as she does. Yeah, yeah. And also, like, your knowledge from the, the Steam version will actually help because it'll have all the same button presses. Like, the menus will still look kind of funky, but other than that, like, all the shortcuts and stuff are exactly the same. But it's 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 such a great little experience. And, you know, they're making a Formula One management game that comes out later this year. And that's just made me that much more excited about what um, Frontier brings to the table. Yeah. You know, Frontier, I can't think of like a it's game like of theirs. It's super niche, but it really yeah. works. Yeah. And, and none of their strategy games are like mind bending. You know, like they're, they're not trying they're to reinvent the wheel. They're just trying to perfect their formula. And yeah. Their formula yeah. Is super accessible. And I think that's yeah. the big difference between it and a lot of other strategy games is that it is accessible. Like somebody like my wife can sit down and really, really enjoy it without getting into the nitty gritty of it. Like like you would with something like, um, I don't know, like civilization where you're trying to manage all these little all this little minutia, you know? Well, yeah. But then again, if you want to get into the minutia and like make custom stuff, you really, really can. Yeah, but but they don't they don't make it uh, mandatory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That means that it's instantly more accessible because the people that want to dive deep can, and the people that don't want to dive deep still get a really good experience for their money, and that's really cool. Did, did she is she playing it on the four or the five? She's playing it on the four. Oh, that's a shame. My my old four pro is now upstairs in the bedroom, which I know violates several. Feng Shui things. Nah, eh, whatever. I don't care about that. Uh, I'm pretty sure Marie Kondo is going to be mad at me or something. Whatever. There's a, there's an item cap basically on the PlayStation 4 version that they get rid of for the 5. Oh, no kidding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can just have... I, I forget what... It, there's a bar at the top and they, they call it something else. Like they try to make it cute, but it's basically like, yeah, you can only have so many actual physical... like. You know, like if you build a, a building and you put down a wall tile, that's one. And then so like if you put down a custom building, that might be like 50 or 60 or whatever. So but then again, if you put down a booth that's all pre-rendered, that's also one. So it's, you know, you just kind of have to pick your battles on that one. Now, I got to say, I I quite like their design philosophy and mm-hmm. stuff is really easy to pick up and they do a really good job with tutorials and I really like what they do. And the fact that they're making a management simulation about one of my favorite things in the world just really has me genuinely excited now. Yeah. And you could fall down the YouTube rabbit hole of watching people make really, really custom stuff, which is kind of fun to watch. Some people are really, really, they make things really pretty. I know that I got the Slimer uh, coaster <laughs> and now my, my life is better. Yeah, you know it's really irritating. Um, not all of the DLC is out on uh, the PlayStation version. Like, you can't get the Knight Rider one, and that hurts me. Um, or the yeah, Monsters. That coaster's pretty dope, actually. The Knight Rider one, I really like. Yeah. Well, and the Monsters one, uh, I was watching a guy play, and he was putting like a he built like this custom thing for a carousel, and he put like a pipe organ in, you know, like one of those organ machines. Yeah. And all of the pipes were actually from the Monsters mobile. Like that's where he got those pieces oh, from. That's and I'm cool. like, oh, I don't have that. <laughs> i don't know do you know um, did you know it, rob zombie is directing the monsters movie right now yeah and i'm yeah totally stoked because 
he's like the most fanboy of fanboys when it comes to that. So I have a feeling it's going to be oddly very. Uh, it's going to have heart. Like he, he's a fan. He's going to do it right. You no, know? I like, know, but it, reverent. Uh, reverent. Yeah, it's it's. I I think that's going to end up being like super 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 revenant. Or revenant. Yeah, no, I don't I feel agree. like I'm saying that right. I, you what probably is wrong aren't. with me. It's okay. I don't I say don't, words right. I'm all very time. tired. It's fair. Anyway, he he loves it like I do, and that means he's gonna he's gonna make it really nice. You know what? You know, what made that? me excited about it. He was announcing on Instagram that this is his first PG movie, and then he's like, "What? You think I make the monsters R? I'm not a monster. I'm not a monster." Like. <laughs> you know? and, and you know, like Rob Zombie, like realizing, you know having the self-awareness to go like, no, I can't make this like a gritty or whatever movie. Like it has to be family entertainment. Cause that's what the monsters is. Like, like I, I have more respect for that. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah. They're not going to try and Brady bunch it and make it like, Oh look, the monsters are in real life now. Well, but that's always been kind of the gimmick, but I like the Brady bunch movies. I don't care what people say, but I like I, them I, too. I like them too. But I, you know, it, it's not a gimmick that you can keep on bringing to the table. Like it worked for the first Brady bunch movie. And then, Ultimately, like the second one was funny, but not nearly as clever because that was done. You know, we played Knights Black Agents on a weird week. <laughs> it was a weird week, but you know what? That was like the most fun I've ever had in a, a, you know, RPG. Like we got to do an action scene and it was a chase scene and it made me happy. Yeah, you're you're not the only one that said that. I I've, I felt really good walking away from that episode, whatever you want to call it as well. It was great. It was like. It, it, it that did an excellent job of highlighting everything that is different and fun uh, about that system. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't say that lightly. Like that, that it, it's. I don't know how else to put it. Like it just, it highlights everything that's different about that system and makes that system unique and special and and makes it work where so many others fail. Not to pat my own back, but I, I timed everything right because so the. Uh, Basically, there's six chapters to this story where <clears throat> we just finished up chapter two. Um, so the first couple of parts of, of chapter two, you know, you guys were doing a heist and you were doing more mundane things. But I, I spent the whole time just kind of like whittling you guys down as much as I could. And then we got to the finale where you guys were all, all of a sudden on a timetable like you couldn't rest because like one of your, one of your peeps had gotten kidnapped and taken to a, a a resort in the middle of the Turkish desert because, you know, that's what you do when you're in a spy movie. You just go out to the desert with in a weird villa of some sort and have a super... What are you talking fight. about? That never, ever happens in every James Bond movie. Not everyone, but at least at least twice a... Uh, I don't know, twice man. twice a Bond. There was a whole lot of, like, weird things out in the middle of nowhere in James Bond-verse. Yeah, no, I'm not saying there's not. I'm just saying it, it. It's about two or three times a bond. It's not every time, but yeah, it it does happen a lot. Like the the d- weird desert compound, and uh, yeah, that was that was fun. And you guys did a bit of a car chase where you you, you tracked down this uh, owl witch that you all hated, which was fun. And I was impressed with Ray. Ray's character like domed her. I was like, whoa. Yeah, that kind of right. came out of nowhere, right? Like I yeah. was not expecting that out uh, out of Ray or his character for that matter. I, I love the fact that he did that. Like my character applauded. My character approved. My character was envious that he had not done it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I almost wanted a little bit more of a speech. Like, uh, I remember the one time where you actually saw James Bond go into assassin mode in those entire films, uh, which was Pierce Brosnan in uh, 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 The World Is Not Enough. 
and uh, he puts on gloves and he starts putting the silencer on and he's like, ordinarily, I don't like doing this. It's a dirty business. <laughs> and, 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 but, you know, he's like, he's just like, yeah, no, dude, that's happening. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, I just that was like that was like, you know, uh, his name's Seb- the character Sebastian. Sebastian's a little moment. He's like, oh, this is a dirty business, but nope. <laughs> I'm not going to let you live. You, you know, I, too many problems. It, it almost made it more effective that he didn't have like a long soliloquy because it made it feel oddly more real. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's cool. No, I'm I'm fine with that. But yeah, no, in most games, you know, if you if you did if you had someone tied up like that, you'd you'd feel compelled to like, you know, let them live. But you know, he was just the very practical. It's like, I can't let this person live. They're causing too many problems at this point. Kidnap people, summon owls on me. It's 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 crazy. Almost made a late uh, almost uh whammied somebody into blowing their own head off. It was good times. <laughs> that was a great scene too, by the way. <laughs> just builds tension really well when somebody's threatening to you know bonk themselves yeah and it was funny after everything was done my wife looked at me and, and she's like our, our first vampire fight was a little anticlimactic and i'm like do, do you think that whole sequence because you guys found a vampire uh, and you wisely went during the day and so the vampire was resting and, and she's like yeah it was a little anticlimactic you know we just have to deal with them during the day it's like gina do you do you not think that that was like purely intentional because here's the thing. I can just not let you ever deal with vampires at during the day again. Like I introduced the threat and then the next time you have to go deal with a vampire, you a know they exist and B I'm not going to let you deal with them at day. De- I, at I the didn't daytime. take that as anticlimactic at all. At yeah. all. I took that as yeah. um, foreboding, frankly. <laughs> yeah. And that's what it was supposed to be. And then she like sat and thought about it. I'm like, yeah, you guys are, going to be just scared as hell when you realize there's a vampire and it's night now. And, uh, and she's like, and she's like, Oh dang, you're right. (laughs) I'm like, I mean, I'm right. That's all part of the plan. (laughs) Yeah, no, I definitely took that as foreboding. I did not take that as, and very specifically you, you remember, I'm like, are you guys going to go crashing that place at night? Are you going to wait until the daytime? And that was the reason I wanted to know why, you know, it all matters. (laughs) Choices choices Jonathan. yeah this is uh this is quickly becoming one of my most favorite rpg stories nice it's and it's it's not just the subject matter although that really genuinely helps but it's the the way the subject matter is embraced by the system you know like yeah they're very synergistic the the choices that you have to make with the system are are interesting and i don't know that they work with other genres like this wouldn't necessarily work as well with D and D. Yeah, there is a fantasy one coming out, Swords of the Serpentine. It's more based on like Conan stories and stuff. It's interesting. It does kind of bend the system possibly into something it's never meant to be, but it was it was still fun. I play tested it. I, I don't, I don't doubt that, that it would be fun. I really, I really don't. I, I, it's just, I don't know. Like the 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 choices that you have to make just support the environment of the spy movie so well. I, I completely agree. So like the the first iteration of the setting or of the system was for Cthulhu stuff and it works okay with that. And then this is the the second like big change. And I think this is kind of where they hit the nail on the head. And there's a few more. There's like a, you know, time travel police game and <laughs> there's one called the Gay and Reach, which is just too complicated to talk about. And they have a space one called Ash and Stars and Blah, blah, blah. Um, the other good one is Bubblegum Shoe. It actually works pretty well with that. The rules changes they made, which is like Veronica Mars, the RPG. I, I, have I guess is the best shoe. way to describe it. Yeah, it's good. I've always wanted to run that. I just I don't know what to do with it. All right, Jonathan. So what have you been uh, what have you been reading? So I finished up Area 51. 
that oh 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 you got to the you got to the mic drop how was it it's a pretty hard turn <laughs> i love that I, oh i but, love that book for it Still a thousand times more credible than friggin' aliens. <laughs> Legit, a hard turn. Don't know how much there is to it. Still better than a- aliens. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, oh, man. Do I, rec- do I think that's what happened? No. <laughs> no. Technology from the 60s was not such that you look at it and are mystified by it. Like, everything was mechanical in nature, except for cryptography. And, 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 and analog and yeah. stuff, yeah. Like, yeah. sorry, not bug it, buying that. All right, so, spoiler alert. <laughs> Tune out now if you're going to go read this book. The, the last component says that Roswell was not aliens, but was, in fact, children that were deformed by Joseph Mengele... And possibly surgically altered as and, well. And possibly surgically altered that piloted some kind of flying disc made by the Horner brothers uh, in late World War II. Mm-hmm. Again, more credible than aliens. Don't feel like we're really where we were supposed to be with Roswell. I really don't. Do, do yeah. I think that we know the truth about Roswell? No, absolutely not. Do I think that there was some top secret, potentially nuclear stuff that was was happening? Yeah, absolutely. We may never know the truth. I don't think this is it. I don't think this is the theory. I'm just saying. <laughs> no, and, I love and, that and book. Kills me. Because like the book, the book starts a little crazy. Like it starts a little crazy. And then it goes into this like really good history that's really engaging. And, and you're and just very for- well researched, I might add. All right. Like the, right. 95% of the book is exquisitely researched. And uh, unless you're like a super aviation enthusiast like I am, there's a good chance that this is new history to you. Yeah, it, it was to me. It was fun. And, but that uh, last and then, 10 minutes is like, oh. <laughs> yeah, and then like, and then it starts going into like the origin of some of the conspiracy theories about it. And, yeah. and you know, it's like, oh, that's plausible. And that's, oh, that makes sense. That, that, and then, all yeah, the origin and then, stuff was super plausible. Yeah, and yeah. Then, and then the author gets to that, that last section and you're reading that last chapter and you're just like, what the? <laughs> <laughs> like, I legitimately had to look up at the plate of whatever I was eating. And I, I was, I wondered if I had somehow accidentally ingested some kind of mind altering gummy. <laughs> like that was the leap of faith made in the last, the last little chapter. It was so good. See, that's the type of crazy I like. Like I like my crazy in small doses. Like I, I really have a hard time watching like conspiracy theory documentaries. Cause they just kind of aggravate me. Like TikToks are about my limit. You know, if someone's like just spouting nuts and in, in TikToks, I'm like, yeah, okay, this is fair. And if I want to read a Wikipedia article on it, I can do that on my own time. I, I find that less horrific, but yeah, no, just that last chapter, man, like she set up all this credibility and she's like, I'm going to blow all my credibility right here and you're going to accept it. And it's like, no, no, I'm not. But thank you. Thank you for this. This was, this was the. This was the the cap on this book that just made it. Mm, mm. <laughs> it it made it so good. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, come on, Dad. It, it it was good, right? No, like, at the, at the, end, at the of end of the day, I I give that book a chef's kiss. <laughs> was it was it absolutely wacky and crazy? The last chapter, yes, absolutely. Uh, does it contain like tons of really good history that that is? not just credible, but that I have read in other sources since it was declassified. Yes, absolutely. I would say it's actually the best researched and put together collection 
of items from that area and era that I, that I've ever read. But that last chapter, man, just get ready. You know what we should do, sir? We should find another one of her books and read it. And see I'm down, it man. I really actually I really liked her writing style. It was very accessible. Ooh, surprise kill vanish. The secret history of the CIA's paramilitary armies, operators and assassins. <laughs> Sold. Oh, phenomena. The secret history of the U.S. government's investigations into extrasensory perception and psychokinesis. Oh, they, they went for Project MKUltra? I, I, I probably. Oh, hell yeah. OK, yeah. No, I'm down with that, man. I'm so down with that. <laughs> yeah, that sounds up my alley, too. I, I, I love that stuff. Oh, but this one, too, man. The Pentagon's Brain, an uncensored history of DARPA, America's top secret military research agency. Mm, that one's good, too. Let, let me, let me put too. it to you this way. I'm willing to do more than one book, and I just need you to tell me what you want to do first. And I'm there. Do, do we want to read? Do we want to read the same one, or should we read different ones? And then, like, no, I think we should read the same one so that we can have fun conversations, like the one we did when I got to the last chapter. Okay. Okay. So DARPA, the DARPA one's probably going to be aggravating because that one's yeah. DARP DARPA is no good. Yeah. Fun fun fact: If you've never read anything about DARPA, you should know that they are. Um, well, okay. In that era, they were a bunch of terrible human beings that had no problem experimenting on uh, humans that had not consented or were unable to consent, and did just absolutely wretched things. Phenomena, on the other hand, probably will have some of that, but it'll also just have a lot of woo. So, what sounds better, like kind of depressing history or or woo history? I mean. Either or, bud. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm in it to win it with you. Like, let's do this. I, I've got a book I got to read first, uh, so I, I can't. You just I can't tell me fin- when. You just tell me when, and I'll, I'll, I'll have it the next day from Amazon because I just checked. Okay, we'll tell you what. I'll, everything I, is in stock. Okay, I put that book on hold. Speaking, speaking of what I have to read, real quick. Can we, can we switch gears to that? Is that okay? Are yeah, we ready man. to move on? Let's do it. Okay, I was reading. Uh, I've been reading Dracula, and I found this uh, lady that does. Uh, Dracula scholarship like criticism it's 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 way in the weeds but there's quite the cottage industry in Dracula scholarship it's it's pretty amazing so she wrote this book called Dracula invades England the text the context and the uh and the readers wow that title must have gotten cut off anyway it's by a lady named Christina Artini Artari I don't know our A-R-T-E-N-I-E Artini it was a really interesting book. It went into uh, like she went into like the history of Romania during the time that Dracula was written and, you know, just all this historical stuff. And it was it was a fascinating read and uh, I really enjoyed it. And it talked about a lot about the Romanian language. And there was like would Dracula have even heard like Vlad Tepes. Did he actually ever hear the term Dracula and, you know, discussing all that, blah, blah, blah. It was it was fun. It was good times. Uh, but in that in that, Jonathan. She mentioned another book, and it was another feather in my cap because, Jonathan, I have read five different versions of Dracula, and she informed me of a sixth, and I was excited. So it's called Dracula in Istanbul. It's a book that in 1950-something, I want to say eight or two, I'm not sure, uh, uh, a dude named Ali Raza Seyfogel, he grabbed it. And he translated it, and then he didn't put Bram Stoker's name on it. He just took all the credit. Uniquely, it redoes Dracula, but instead of Dracula going to England, he goes to Istanbul instead and reinvades Turkey. And uh, and all of the characters are recast as Muslim uh, people from Istanbul, and it's 
fascinating. And it's it's one of those things where just as it's rolling along, like things are getting more and more off the off the standard Dracula track. But yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting book. I, I am I'm having a good time. And uh, the the connection between Dracula actually factually being Vlad Tepes is very very at the front of this one. So that that's kind of interesting because it it I I never realized how much they didn't actually kind of put those two together. It's just kind of what people assumed. Because uh, there's Van Helsing has a speech kind of near the end, but it's not very clear if that's the truth or not. Because Van Helsing's Van Helsing says a lot of things. <laughs> so, and his English isn't that great. So who knows? Anyway, uh, I will tell you more. I'm only right now. I forget the replacement for Jonathan Harker. Uh, I forget his name, but uh, he is currently at Dracula's castle at the moment. And yeah, Dracula's buying up properties in Istanbul. It is fascinating. Well, uh, I started a new book, too. Go on. Uh, The Blade Itself by Joe Abercrombie. In fact, I think it was suggested to me by somebody on the podcast, right? Was it in the book recommendations? I think so. The Blade Itself by Joe Abercrombie. So I'm not that part of a series. Is it part of a series, by the way? It is. It's like, I think it's an opening trilogy. Oh, the first law books. Oh, that was right. Okay, okay. So yeah, I, I've begun reading the first one. I'm about a quarter of the way through. It's hard to say where it's going. Um, I don't, you know, I'm not really prepared to speak about it in too much depth. I will say this: there's a lot of um, similar territory being covered as Game of Thrones initially. So I'm, I'm hoping it's not just a recast. I, you know, I'm, I'm not willing to make that call yet because I'm not far enough into it. It's just setting stuff up. But that being said. Um, there are some unusually unsettling scenes in it that got under my skin a lot more than I anticipated. And uh, yeah, so far, so good. Right on. All right, well, let's move on to movies and TV. And it looks like the Godzilla marathon has continued. Yes. Yes, it has. It's so good. I see some 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 Megalon, some Space Godzilla, some more Mega Godzilla. I approve. Yeah, yeah, we watched uh, the tail end of the uh, Heisei era of uh, Godzilla films, which, you know, have a cohesive story. So Godzilla vs. Mega Godzilla to Godzilla vs. Space Godzilla and Godzilla vs. Destroya. Uh, yeah, yeah, probably shouldn't let the kids watch Godzilla vs. Destroya. That one's actually kind of scary. <laughs> uh, they uh, they channel a fair amount of aliens in that movie. Oh, I should I should get Amelia watching that then. She loves her aliens. No, no, like aliens with with Ripley. Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're channeling that movie hard in that one. Now, it's not nearly as gory, but I mean, you got like, you know, Japanese defense forces with, you know, the smart guns and, you know, boop, boop, you know, motion sensors and stuff. It's good times. My boy, Miles, comes up to me. He's like, this isn't my favorite Godzilla movie, Daddy. I'm like, why? And he's like, because Godzilla dies in that and it's not good. Oh, man after my own heart. And then uh, we watch Godzilla vs. Megalon because that movie is a train wreck and I love it. Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> and, uh, the right kind of train wreck. <laughs> my my boy, my boy loved it. Oh, just Miles, Miles loved it, especially when Godzilla drop kicks, uh, when Jet Jaguar is holding Megalon and, and Godzilla jump kicks him. So good. <laughs> it just goes to show you that throwing a professional wrestling move in the middle of any fight scene instantly makes it better. <laughs> like that goes for the marvel stuff too like there's nothing better than in the middle of a marvel movie if somebody just does something ridiculous that hulk hogan would do 
<laughs> I mean, realistically, yeah. every st- stunt coordinator needs to be standing there on set and just say, what would they do in WWE? And then put it in the movie. That instantly makes any fight better. And then um, I randomly watched Star Trek, the motion picture again, because yeah, they made like a 4K. I was going to ask you about that. That's a re- that's speaking of deep cuts. Yeah, they, they did like a 4K restoration of it that they uh, released on Paramount Plus. So I started watching it. And I got to say, I, I've always called it the slow motion picture and I've given it a lot of crap over the years. But maybe it's because I'm watching a lot of dumb Godzilla movies or whatever. Having just a very slow burn sci-fi movie, it was very refreshing. I was watching it. I'm like, yeah. The, the pace you know? of that movie never got under my skin like it did other people. Yeah, it gets under my skin sometimes because they just take forever to arrive at stuff. But yeah, no, just a nice slow burn, kind of weird science fiction, overly long, pretentious sci-fi movie. Yeah, just it, it was a nice palate cleanser. I was like, yeah, this is this is kind of what I need in my life right now. This is this is this is good. This is good. <laughs> okay, and this sucks. I had to cut this out of the last episode, Jonathan. So I'm going to talk about him this time because I, I said I was going to talk about him, then I totally forgot. So I'm not going to forget this time. I've been watching the anime. Uh, I, I randomly watched one called Steins Gate. Uh, I've talked about it a little bit. Uh, it was great. Like, it was so good. Yeah, that's the one with the good time travel story, right? Yeah, yeah, it's a very good time travel story. Uh, what I liked best about it was um, it set itself up to be a dumb anime with all these dumb anime tropes, and then it spent the next 25 episodes eventually subverting all of them. And... You know, all of the the anime tropes that I don't like, like, you know, they explained it and, you know, all the characters that I kind of hated at first, I loved them by the end. And it was it was perfection. Like it was it was I was really impressed. And, you know, it's time travel conspiracy theory stuff was right on like, you know, just stuff I've read before. And so, yeah, whoever whoever did it obviously had a love of the time travel, obviously had a love of subverting anime tropes. And it was like, wow, I'm impressed. This, this was a very, very good movie. I was very impressed or TV show. Uh, and the time travel made sense. It followed its own rules and it was incredibly clever. Like the way they resolved the plot was probably the smartest thing I've ever seen in my life. Like it was, it it was something new in the genre of time travel. I was, I was, my jaw dropped. I'm like, Oh my God. (laughs) So very impressed. And then because it was so good, I decided the only other one available at the library was another series called Robotics Notes, uh, which is about a high school robotics club that decides to make a, a, a Gundam, basically. <laughs> and uh, I mean, it's I can't fault the logic because when I was in high school, I would have jumped on that club like nobody. Yeah. Does. Yeah. And it's uh, it's interesting because it's trying to be realistic in its depiction of giant robots, which is kind of fun. But it's also going into the weeds of some conspiracy theories, and I'm I'm very impressed. And it's set in the same universe as Steinsgate, and I thought it was just kind of tangibly like, oh, they're part of the same series. But no, it's like the same damn world. Like the uh, antagonists of Steinsgate are the same antagonists in Robotics Notes, just them years later doing another cockamamie plan. And uh, maybe not cockamamie, it's a conspiracy. So, you know, conspiratorial plan. But yeah, you know, it's it's this weird movie about these high school students that build a giant robot and then like, you know, stuff happens and they've got to like actually use it. It's it's really good. Like and just the way it arrives at that is is interesting. I don't think the characters are quite as good, but, you know, characters I hated at the beginning, I'm finding more and more endearing as we are going on. So I, you know, they're doing a good job of that at the very least. So uh, and this one has been good enough. I've been like contemplating, should I get crunchy roll because there's more series and I'm like, Oh my God. Oh my God. (laughs) 
because uh, there's one called Occultic Nine, which is way up my alley. It's about a guy who's doing like a, a conspiracy elliptony blog and meets other people through it. And then they get tossed into a weird conspiracy about stuff. And I'm like that, that sounds right up my alley, you know, Delta green stuff right there. So yeah. And tell you what, I'll close me out. I, uh, Star Trek Picard still good. Uh, it, this, uh, I'm starting, my faith is starting to waver a little bit, Jonathan. I, I do got to admit like the last three episodes have been so wildly off topic. <laughs> like every single you one. You think they're going to bring it, it back? I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm worried. I, I, how about we've had three episodes that are just like tangents, like off in their own little weirdness. And then I'm like, I, the, you guys, you need to start rodeoing, you know, get, get it, get in the rodeo and like start getting all these cows together. I, they're, I'm they're, yeah. almost caught up with the stuff that I'm watching. So I will be moving to Star Trek discovery soon or not discovery excuse me, Star Trek Picard very soon. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, I started watching fringe today cause I realized it was on HBO max and I always meant to watch that, but like the show came out in this really weird time. Cause it was right when we cut cable and it was at that weird time where shows were either entirely on streaming or not. So like I couldn't watch it. I, maybe it was on Hulu, but I didn't have Hulu and yeah, I just, I never watched it and it's like exactly up my alley and I just never did. So, so it's super I'm enjoyable. Fixing that. Um, I will say this, hold on. I've had a lot of it spoiled cause I existed in you know, conspiracy X file pop culture at the time. So I know a lot of the, the stuff. Okay. So on season two, episode 18, tell me when you get there, I will rewatch it. I would like to chat with you about it. Okay. That's oddly specific. It's, but it's a standalone right. episode that is not hooked into the greater mythos. I found it to be very engaging and interesting when I saw it. And I would like your opinion on it. That's all I'm going to say. Okay, fair enough. So when you get well, there, tell like, me, I will rewatch that episode, and then we will okay. talk. Okay, fair enough. That's it. What have you been watching? Uh, what have I been watching? So uh, I have not had a ton of time lately, and I've been falling behind on stuff, so uh, I've watched a lot of old stuff. So I finished up Alone Season whatever, 7, 8, whatever it was. Uh, really enjoyed that. And then I started chipping away at my Marvel deficit because I'd fallen behind. So I finished Hawkeye, which was lovely. And yes, yes, very lovely. Just it's everything I want a Marvel show to be like. It was start to finish a good balance of fun feels. And it was fantastic. There's a lot of F words that aren't my favorite one. So, hey, that should say something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I, yeah. I, I love I love Kate Bishop. Yeah, no, she's great. She's fantastic. You know, uh, that's the young lady from um, True Grit, the the Coen Brothers version of True Grit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't remember her name. Haley something. I can't. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was so impressed no, but, with her in True Grit, and then seeing her here, like, really shows off her range as an actress. She's going to be someone to watch. Like, she's amazing. Yeah. No, and I love I love the way they did her character. Like, you know, like yeah, she's got she she is good. She's just. You know, very green. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very, very green. Well, and and I also love that the entire series is predicated over the the fact that actions have consequences. Yeah, like that is the whole moral of the tale. Like it doesn't necessarily really advance, other than introducing a couple of new characters, um, the Marvel plots at all. Not not like some of the other stuff does. Certainly not like Loki does. Oh man, they are so 
walking towards a Young Avengers movie. Oh, no, they like, absolutely it, are. They absolutely yeah. are. But but short of introducing a couple of characters, it does not evolve the the, the overarching plot of Marvel a- at all. Like, you didn't need this to, to move forward. It does offer some really good closure for Clint. I'd watch the hell out of a season two of it. Dude, I'd, I'd watch like, the hell out of, like, Elena, like, having her own show. That, that too. That like, too. I, I wouldn't even care if it was just her watching TikToks and giggling about him. Like, you know that'd be funny. Florence Pugh is a frigging gift. Like, she's a gift to the Marvelverse. You know, you know, it might be actually an interesting movie or a series if they did Hawkeye 2, but it was a buddy cop with Elena <gasps> and uh, Kate. I would watch the living daylights out of that. Because Hawkeye and Black Widow, man. Like, yeah, you got to do that. <laughs> I love you, Kate Bishop. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no. I, here for the yeah. mac and cheese. <laughs> that whole, that, like, they spent like five minutes discussing mac and cheese. Like, how can you not love it? Yeah, um, that was good. So Hawkeye was lovely. Then I watched Eternals. Mm-hmm. Positive podcast, Robert. You know, okay. So I was thinking about it. I was thinking about the weakest of the Marvel movies, and I was wondering where that lied. In, oh in no, the no, week. we know now. We know. I'm not. Oh, it's too clear. sure. One, I I don't think so. I don't, I don't know. I it, it's I don't beautiful. Know. There is some excellent acting in there. It's two and a half hours, and I swear it goes nowhere. Yeah, it should have been a Marvel show. It, it should have been a show. It would have been better. Yeah, because it would have had breathing room. Y- you know, like my issue with Eternals is it's very slow. It doesn't really go anywhere. It doesn't produce any results. It doesn't produce any forward motion for the Marvel verse as a whole. It it feels like you know what it feels like. It feels like one of those Fox movies where Fox was trying to do Marvel and they didn't know how to do Marvel. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like it doesn't feel like it's attached to the rest of it up until like the last. 15 seconds. Then all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, we should probably like tie in. Yeah, no. Again, it should have just been a TV show. Like, it would have been way better. They would have had time to breathe. Yeah, and that's exactly what it needed. Like, I don't know. Like, you could have spent an episode on each character, introducing them better. Like, I don't feel like I got to know anybody. Or you could have spent every episode advances the timeline, like, because there's a bunch of timeline hopping in that, and they could have just made yeah. that that an episode each and just advance the timeline. And then they, they, they spend all this time at the beginning of the movie making one of the characters kind of the de facto main character, and then they forget about her for the second half of the film. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, it's a mess. It's a narrative mess is the problem. But it's gorgeous. It's simply beautiful to look at. Like, every frame is a gorgeous image. But at the same time, it also had some of the worst special effects of all the Marvel movies. So, yeah, kind of a mess, like kind of a hot mess. Definitely the we- to me, it's the weakest Marvel film by far. Speaking of which, how is Moon Knight? Because I haven't wa- started watching that yet. So I've watched one episode. OK, um, I really like where it's going. Hmm. <laughs> and uh, Oscar Isaac is amazing. All right. And I, I cannot wait to see what they do with it. Like, I uh, again, I'm only one episode in, but that, that episode was really fun. OK, I, I don't know. It hasn't been doing much for me, but I don't know. Oh, speaking of which. So Brendan has informed me that AMC Plus comes with Shudder. If uh, if, if oh, you're looking for a bundle. God. 
He also, and God, God bless him. He went and watched all of the Hellraiser movies after I kind of, I mentioned I liked them. Oh yeah. And yeah, we were talking, I don't know. We were talking just generally about it, but yeah, I like Hellraiser one and two a lot. Those are real good. I like Hellraiser three mostly because uh, Jadzia Dax is in it and I, I can't say anything bad about any Star Trek actor ever. So we will just leave that there because there's nothing else to say about that movie besides <laughs> that she's in it. Um, I love Hellraiser in space. I don't know why. It's really bad. Oh, no, it's and terrible, I know they cut, but it's so lovable. Yeah, and they cut an hour out of that movie, and Alan Smithy directed it, and there's a whole story there, and I've read the original script, and it would have been awesome, but I don't know if a two-and-a-half-hour horror movie is awesome, but I... I don't know. God help me. I would I would love to see that movie actually get made. And then you get into like the straight to video releases, five, six, seven, eight. And, you know, the two other ones that didn't even have the original pinhead. And it's like, yeah, they go they go downhill fast. <laughs> I, I remember. So here's the thing. I watched five, six, seven, eight, like all in one go. Um, I rented them at the same time from my uh, Hollywood video. If that tells you I, maybe maybe it was Blockbuster. Anyway, I remember I watched them all pretty much simultaneously. And uh yeah, I remember liking five, but or five was the best out of all of them, and I liked it. But then again, I watched five, six, seven, and eight all in one go. So if that tells you anything about you know my frame of mind at the time, I have not watched the five in in yeah. Anyway, anyway, God bless you, God 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 rest your soul, man. Like Brendan, you you did the Lord's work right there. <laughs> I concur, and that just takes us to uh, board games. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Not too much, not too much. Um, been very busy, but you and I are playing together in a game of Seven Wonders and Welcome To. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's good to be back to Welcome To. I've missed it. I really enjoy that game. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I got a couple of lovely surprises in the UPS. Uh, some Kickstarters that I ordered, what, last year? No, year before maybe even. Um, I got my Kickstarter for Foundations of Rome. And my Kickstarter for Marvel United, but I'm not going to talk about that because we're going to be talking about that later. Uh, And I finally located a copy of a game I've been searching for for three years since it was announced, Fire in the Sky from Phalanx Games. Hmm. It's a big old Pacific Theater um, World War II simulation. Okay. So I am stoked about that. I just need to find a fellow history nerd to play it with me. (laughs) <laughs> I became aware of a uh, crazy huge board game, the the Africa campaign or whatever it's called. Oh, that, it's that's not a that, legend. It's, yeah. That's not, that's not that though. Right? No, it's, no, 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 no. Good. <laughs> it's not that detailed. Okay. Well, that's good. That seemed a little overly detailed. All right. That's it. Yeah, that's it for for board games. I I I dive. I've, I've played Marvel United most of all. Fire in the Sky. I'm just starting to to flirt with it. And Foundations of Rome. I just took it all out of the box and looked at it. I haven't had a chance to play it yet. Although I think that's probably what I'm going to prioritize for our next review because I'm so fascinated by. We played the living daylights out of this digitally. How does it translate once it hits a, a table? That's a really interesting question. You know. Hmm. True that. I was going to say, I thought that's the one we played a lot digitally. Yeah, so. yeah. And I'm I'm really, really, it's so pretty. It's such a beautiful production. I'm going to send you some pictures uh, when, once I get it out on the table uh, more often. So okay. To kind of really let you dig into it. Because the packaging that they did, at least for the version of it that I got, is, is really striking and wonderful. All right. Let's close this up, Jonathan. 
All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our off the shelf segment, which means it is break time. And when we return from break, it'll be time for our wisdom of crowd segment. Not a ton of news to talk about, but a couple things, a couple things. We love getting feedback, so please let us know how we're doing by one of the following. You can become our patron over at Patreon. Search for Forgot My Dice. We also have a Discord page where we organize games and chat about all sorts of stuff. Find a link on our website, ForgotMyDice.com. You can also message us or tweet at us on the Twitters. Find us at Forgot My Dice. And, of course, you can email us at fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com. Or you can head on over to our website, ForgotMyDice.com, where all of our episodes are available, plus game reviews and other content. If you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Last of you, for those of you listening in the village, call the operator, give your number, and ask for us to be put on the rotation. Robert, this, this needs to stop. Listen, I'll, I'll make you a deal. I will not make any deals with you. I will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. My life is my own. Oh, God, I'm going to cut his cord. And welcome back from the break. It is now time for our Wisdom of Crowd segment. That is, of course, our segment where we talk about all of the news in our bi-weekly tabletop news segment. And Robert, you want me to get started? Yeah, do it. Let's go. Cosmic Encounter is getting some new love. I read about this, actually. Fantasy Flight Games has announced Cosmic Encounter Cosmic Odyssey. It's the next expansion for Cosmic Encounter. Uh, the biggest thing that it adds is a campaign mode, which is really, really cool. Each of the players gets to control a coalition of the factions uh, from the game, and they play against multiple games. And you accumulate a bunch of prizes and scores uh, from each game that you play. And the whole thing accumulates in something called the Final Age. So, um, yeah, this is exciting. Uh, Cosmic Odyssey has 42 factions in it. Wow. 30 of them are brand new to the universe. So that's, I'm really excited. That's a really big change. That's a big addition. Yeah. Tell me about it. So yeah, Cosmic Odyssey, uh, from, uh, Cosmic Encounter, Cosmic Odyssey. That will be out hopefully this year from Fantasy Flight. Hopefully, hopefully <laughs> on everything. And uh, you, you can't count on anything right now. No, no. And Can't count on your governor. Fault. It's nobody's fault. No, it's Greg Abbott's fault because he closed down the border because reasons. Well, that's not helping any. I guess it's time, Robert. Oh. Time for episode 126 is f*** you, Greg Abbott. <laughs> f*** you. And on that note, uh, Wizards of the Coast has announced that it's buying D&D Beyond from Curse Gaming for $146 million. A lot of people were expecting this move coming because a lot of the people who created D&D Beyond have moved on to other cursed projects over this past year. And uh, just as a counterpoint or whatever, Wizards bought TSR itself, bought Dungeons and Dragons for a mere $26 million. So this is a pretty <laughs> a big pittance. deal. Yes. But yeah, yeah. So they are going to uh, they're going to own the digital stuff and they're going to handle it all in-house, which makes sense. They've been, you know working on having a in-house like computer team and whatnot. So interesting stuff. If, if going forward, uh, if I buy books physically, I can't get a digital thing on D and D beyond. I don't know what world we live in because now there's like absolutely no excuse. 
Zero. Oh, zero. Zero. None. Yeah. 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 Well, the tiny epic series, you're familiar with it, yes? We've talked about it on the show before. I, I, yeah, we played uh, We played zombies, I think, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Well, it is now time for the 12th entry in the tiny epic series, Tiny Epic Vikings, and its expansion, Tiny Epic Vikings Ragnarok. Uh, it's it's going to be a drafting area control game uh, for one to four players. It is, of course, from uh, Scott Alms, uh, who's done all of the Tiny Epic games. And uh, it is expected uh, late this year. And it is the same traditional small box packaging for the Tiny Epic series. The same uh, kind of like, I don't know, what would you call that? Those little boxes. I don't know. I don't know. They always pack a lot of game into those boxes. I will give them that. Truth. Uh, yeah, so uh, in the game, you are the leader of a clan of, well, oddly enough, Vikings. And it, the game takes place over three eras. Uh, and yeah, you're going to choose builders, harvesters, explorers, warriors. You add them to your clan. And um, the additional forces that you get help you raid additional islands, build boats, build temples. And uh, generally speaking, you know, battle for the favor of the gods, as one does. So there you go. Tiny Epic Vikings. And Wizards is dropping news at a bad time. Four days from now, Jonathan, they're going to have a live stream, which will talk about the quote of the future of Dungeons and Dragons. And there is a summer book placeholder on Amazon already. So four days from now, we will know. But and four days after we know, this will come out. So thanks, Watsy. I guess I'll talk about it next time. But I'm excited. All right. I like it. It's a little, little, uh, little teaser if you will <laughs> not teaser. It's already happened by the time it comes out. I just envy yeah. it's a teaser for the listener. I envy you who listen to this in the future, you know, and I don't right now. We are talking through space and time as one does. Yeah. Well, it's summer just about, uh, which means that dice tower have announced their 15th annual gaming awards. Mm. Uh, so you, too, can go to the Dice Towers website and look at their nominees for Best Party Game, Cooperative Game, Reprint, Solo Game, Two-Player Game, Expansion, Artwork, Production Values, uh, Most Innovative, Best Game from a Small Publisher, Best New Designer, Best Strategy Game, Best Theming, Best Welcoming Game, and finally, Game of the Year. So, uh, some familiar friends in Game of the Year, uh, things that we've talked about. Um, our homeboy, Ryan Lockett. Uh, who we love dearly, uh, has Sleeping Gods in the mix, uh, Mind Management, Merchant's Cove, Meadow, Maglev Metro, uh, that is, of course, a Ted Allspock joint, so that uh, should be pretty fun, Destinies, Cascadia, Arc Nova, Seven Wonders Architects, and finally, something we talked about on the show, Hadrian's Wall, all up for ga- Game of the Year. I uh, I think I'm rooting for either Sleeping Gods or Hadrian's Wall currently. Although Seven Wonders Architect uh, would be a, a pretty close third. <laughs> you know, we, we reviewed Hadrian's Wall on the show, and I was a big fan of it. Uh, we spent a lot of time talking about it. Uh, I think it's important to note that it's also up for Best Solo Game, uh, as well as Game of the Year. So I am super stoked. Ankh, Gods of Egypt is in here a couple times as well. Uh, best artwork, best two-player game. So yeah, good stuff. Go check out the nominees. Tell us what you think about them. And that brings us to the end of our Wisdom of Crowd segment, which means it's time. It's time to find out where we're going 
with a king in all things. This is, of course, part 14 of our now corrected 41 part series, A King in All Things. Should I, should I just make it 42? I know Firestarter is going to be out before we're all done with this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Let's just call it 42. OK, well, I'll, I, I will make the correction for next time. <laughs> uh, where we are watching Stephen King movies based on novels or novellas in order of release, along with the occasional extra, like uh, last episode's uh, Craptacular Man. I'm sorry, Lawnmower Man. Did I say that right? I, you, I feel you, like you, I might have mispronounced that. No, you, you said or it maybe just. I pronounced it just right. Just, yes. Yes. And uh, yes, we uh, are in to our 13th film in the series, and we are firmly in the early 90s. In 1993, Robert, what did we watch? We watched The Dark Half, uh, directed by Romero, zombie lord himself, George Romero, uh, starring Timothy Hutton from Hill House and Leverage fame and uh, Amy Madigan from our odd obsession with Streets of Fire. It all comes full circle in the end. Um, uh, Michael Rooker, you know, uh, I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> Mary Poppins was in it. <laughs> yeah. No, good, strong cast. Uh, good direction. It, it was uh, a good, strong film. Like, I, it's not inherently broken. It's not the best on our list, but it's not inherently broken either. Yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Um, it is a semi-autobiographical tale of when Stephen King had to retire his... Uh, uh, Richard Richard Bachman is pseudonym. There we go. That's the word I was looking for, and uh, and his, the pseudonym comes to life and starts murdering people, which I'm assuming didn't actually happen. But uh, Stephen King said it was a stand-in for his uh, battles against drug addiction, and after this he got clean. And by the way, the movie made 10.6 million dollars on a budget of who the hell knows. Okay, let's start with things that worked. So I thought Romero's direction was actually pretty good. Yeah. I I thought there was a lot of really interesting camera work. I thought there was a lot of really interesting um, use of visual metaphor. There are some upsettingly creepy moments in the movie. Genuinely good and creepy moments. I also thought it was cast exquisitely. There's not a single member of the cast that wasn't great. And yeah, I... I mean, I don't have a lot of complaints here. I really enjoyed it. Is it the best thing on our list? No. But it's a solid movie. It's a solid eight. Yeah, that, that's my, that's my, I, I wouldn't call it an eight, but I would say it's, it's, um, it's above average and competent. I would say it's average and competent. <laughs> I, it was, it was very middle of the road for me. We'll, we'll get into this when we put it on the list, I'm sure. But, um, yeah, I, it wasn't anything to write home about. I don't think it'll be very memorable in the horror movies no, that we end no. up watching on this, but it wasn't but it's bad. It's not I, offensive and it aged well. Yeah. Yeah. No, agreed. Like, um, you know, we were talking about it, how we have 13 movies currently on the list and there are only five of them. I would actively tell people not to watch. And this is certainly not in that that number. It's not anything you're going to remember, but it's a serviceable. It's a it's a it's a workhorse. It, it, it does its job. It does it well enough. You know, it's not a bad horror movie. You're not going to watch it and go like, oh, you know, whatever plot holes or whatever. I mean, you know, because it's a horror movie that's got a weird premise of a actor pseudonym who may or may not be a, you know, eaten twin from the womb, whatever. Uh, come to life. It it just it is what it is, and for what it did, it did it fine. Like like I I, I honestly don't have any complaints about it. The, the the biggest hole in the movie is is the fact that they they never really address the supernatural in the room. That's true. 
And and that to me is its biggest flaw. I'm not telling you, I'm not saying that you need to give me a full explanation for the supernatural, but you need to at least address it. And and that's the one thing that it doesn't quite ever commit to. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what to say about the movie. And, it was it, cute. It's like it was in a heartbeat, like so many movies from that era do. <laughs> that's true. It's like, and that's the end of the climax and roll credits. Yeah, we're it's out. like, wait, 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 wait. We need a little bit of resolution here. I need to do, see. Do you want some? Do you want some resolution? Because apparently, uh, Tad Bel- Beaumont uh, came up in in subsequent books. Do you want to know what happens to him in the the Stephen King verse? Yeah. Uh, his wife takes his twins and leaves him, and then later on in another book, uh, the sheriff uh, kind of thinks about how the auth- that author guy committed suicide a few years after that, and that is the end of that tale. Wow. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Although I can totally see it in the character. Yeah, yeah. That That's not outside of his character. That makes sense, actually. Yeah, his wife left him because uh, part of him wanted to be George Stark. George Stark is the, the pseudonym who becomes a physical being and kills a bunch of people. Because, yeah, he uh, he liked George Stark. For his, they, they go into that, that he actually likes him. You know, yeah. Because he, he feels cool. And, and, and that's powerful. one of the things that this, the script does so well is it, it, it sets things up very nicely. Like there's nothing that's just like randomly introduced into the movie. Everything has a reason that, that it's there from from a story perspective. And it's it does a lot of really good foreshadowing. And um, yeah, I, I thought the script was actually considering other movies from this era that we've had to deal with. <coughs> yeah. <more> man. <coughs> yeah. Cujo. Yeah. Uh, it it tells a coherent tale and it does not have bad dialogue. It, it's actually quite good. It, it held up very well given yeah. that you're watching it with a modern eye. I, uh, yeah, my only complaint about it is I don't get why he didn't get arrested far earlier than he, he did. Cause they think he's killing people and not his, you know, ghost. Yeah. I mean, double, they, they should have arrested him and then there's another murder and that's that right. Like problem solved. Right. Yeah. I don't know. It, it makes a lot more sense from a procedural perspective, which roots it in reality. Yeah. I'm with you there. So, Jonathan, here, here's the really interesting one. Where do we put it in the list? You know, I feel like it occupies that space between Dead Zone and Pet Cemetery. Wow. That's a lot higher than I was going to give it. I, well, I, 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 I would. I would is I, it as interesting as Silver Bullet? No. Not necessarily, but no. Dead Zone and pet cemetery are kind of its closest peers and i think it tells can i ask you a question then How, did yeah. we underrate silver bullet because no. i i can't i can't see putting this, this movie above goofy. silver bullet but i like that it's goofy like how about i know this? i know of, i know of all the movies we've watched that are on this list i i remember that one a the most fondly like it's the only one so far um past the top three that i would watch again and see, i would I, I really liked, I, I enjoyed Dead Zone. I, I know I enjoyed it more than you. Yeah, yeah, but I, I'm having a hard time putting this movie above Silver Bullet because Silver Bullet had Busey, and Busey was fantastic. This movie did not have a Busey. There was not a lot of joy and love and, and weird heart in this movie. But that was, wasn't it, this, this movie's tale. Well, it, but it wasn't Silver Bullet's tale in it either, but Busey pulled that one out. I don't know, like, I, I did not enjoy this as much as I enjoyed uh, silver bullet. And that's the problem. Like, that's why I don't want to rank it higher than that. Cause See, I, it, I feel like it's, it's a slightly better film than dead zone. No, but is it though? I guess, no, it's not because it, dead zone at least addresses the supernatural of the room as does pet cemetery. 
So I, I guess I would put it between, I, you know what, maybe uh, the more I think about it and twist it around in my head, I think you're right. I think it's, it's just above, uh, under Silver Bullet and above Christine. Yeah, that's exactly where I'd put it. Which is really weird because the gulf between this and Christine is big. I'd agree. It, it, it's funny because they, they sit right next to each other on the list, but I feel like the gulf between Christine and this is abnormally large. I'd say it's the biggest gulf on the entire list right now. No, I, I, I don't know. Like I still, I still think about silver bullet. It was just, it was just fun. It was a fun horror movie. And, uh, I, I can't say that, you know, I, I, I don't know. It's going to be that that's going to be a really weird barometer for me because it's going to be like, if I, if I had a gun to my head and I had to watch any of these movies again, how far up the list would I have to go before I'd watch any of these again? And silver bullets, like the, the one where I'd like, yeah, I'd watch that again. And actually, I'd watch Salem's Lot, Stand By Me, and The Shining, and Misery all again. So, <laughs> but yeah, Silver Bullet. I, I, I don't know. Like the more the the longer this has gone on, the more I've I've come to like that movie because it it was just fun. I mean, you're not wrong. I'd watch The Dark Half again, but it wouldn't be the first thing I'd reach for either. No, no. Silver Bullet though would be pretty high on that list, to be honest with you, because that that's the thing too. Misery and The Shining. They're they're fantastic movies, but they're dark, and I'm not always into the a dark movie mood. That that I have to be, you know. But I'm kind of always down for a comedy, so like I could see myself reaching for Silver Bullet a lot more than any of the others. And Salem's Lot, it's just long. <laughs> That's probably why I would go there. It's just a very long movie. But yeah, yeah. I I still stand by Salem's Lot was way ahead of its time. Yeah, no, agreed, agreed, agreed. I, I'm not saying anything like, bad about it. Salem's Lot feels like something out of the late 90s. It does not feel like something out of the 70s. Yeah, well, we'll get to that because we, we, we've we also added the the new Salem's Lot to our list from 2004. We, we both agreed we're going to watch that. By the way, did we talk about this? I, I At some point, I added The Shining, the miniseries, to the list. Did we, did we discuss that? Or is that something I just did? I don't know that we did. I think you just added it, but I'm okay with it. Okay, because I, uh, I don't know. I want to see how that one's aged compared to the original. It'll be interesting. Anyway. The 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 Shining, the miniseries? Yeah, yeah, the one with the guy from Wings and Rebecca De Mornay. I don't really have fond memories of that. I know, I, I just want to see it, because Stephen King likes it a lot better, and I'm like, I'm wondering what, I don't know, and maybe it'll age better than whatever. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Yeah, no, I... Don't get me wrong. The dark half is solidly in the middle. Like it's 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 a very very just just. I, I guess just seeing it right next to Christine on the list, it, it's it's not fair to it. That's true, because it's so much better than Christine. Yeah, yeah, but you know we've got forty one movies more, or we've got forty one movies total at this point to look at. And oh yeah, and well. Stuff, so speaking of which, I'm adding forty and forty one to our list there. <laughs> So our top five stands untouched. Misery, The Shining, Stand By Me, Salem's Lot 77, and Pet Cemetery. Um, and our bottom five stands un- unchecked. This was distinctly a middle-of-the-road movie, I guess. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly where I'd put it. Not that it's bad. Don't get me wrong. Like, like the problem is the highs are high and the lows are low. <laughs> and so when you're, you're just a, a good, solid horror movie, yeah, you land in the middle, but, you know... You know, it's funny is I gave it an eight and it's sitting at number eight right now. Yeah, that is 100 percent where it belongs. <laughs> Maybe I'll watch Silver Bullet again. I, I, I'm fond of that. Movie. I'd watch that again. Yeah. Maybe I'll do that tomorrow. 
Oh, if Gary get, Busey. If I'm getting sick of Fringe, maybe I'll do that. Fringe is a little dark. So I might need something to light. Yeah, it's not a bad idea to take the occasional break there. All right. Well, next up, Jonathan. Next up is one I'm oddly excited about. Uh, it's uh, 1993's, also 1993's uh, Needful Things with Ed Harris and, yeah, yeah, and uh, Max von Sydow as Mr. Gaunt, Leland Gaunt. I mean, it's mm. never a bad thing to add Max von Sydow to your list, so I'm kind of happy that it's there. Yeah, I remember renting this from my local video store and watching it on my little teeny tiny VHS uh, TV combo that I had access to in the middle of the night because of uh, I could watch it in a part of the house where I wouldn't bother anybody. And uh, yeah, yeah, I remember I remember thinking this movie wasn't great, but I had a good time with it anyway. And I don't know why. You, you know, the weird thing for me is that I distinctly remember the film coming out because of the one sheet, but I do not. I don't remember much about the movie at all, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe it's just a forgettable film. Yeah, no, it wouldn't surprise me if we slot it somewhere near the dark half at the end of the day. It would not shock me if it ends up there at all. But I still have fond memories of it for something, some reasons. Something tells me that it's going to be between dark half and Christine. I think it sits in that gulf. Yeah, I'd agree. I, that, that's, that's that's actually that's what my gut reminds me of. Like when yeah, I think about it, honestly, thinking back of it, that's that's exactly like yeah, it's probably better than Christine. It's I, I think this is going to help better differentiate Christine and Dark Half, frankly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yes, the last Castle Rock story. Castle Rock gets all blowed up at the end of that book. Good times. Good wah times. wah. Was it right. like three books or something? No, it was just one really big book. It was like eight or nine hundred pages. It was one of his just giant books. Yeah, he had a couple that were like in excess of a thousand pages. It it, it was pretty big. Tommy Knockers was pretty big. Oh my god, I remember how big Tommy Knockers was because yeah, I was taking sta- that to middle school with me in my bag, and it took up a ton of room. Yeah, the stand, that's pretty big. All right, well that brings us to the end of our King and All Things segment. Our now forty-one part <laughs> expose into into the wonders of Stephen King movies. Um, Yeah, which brings us uh, to A Year in the Life. This is, of course, our segment where we talk about what we talked about a year ago, and we uh, see if we need to have a long conversation about it. So what was a year ago, Robert? Forgot My Dice, episode 106. My shtick is not for everybody. You know, still still holds true. True. We did nothing, Jonathan. You, your, your computer. Something happened with your audio. Oh, file. that's right. That's the the one where the the audio file got crappied up. Yeah, yeah. So we had to re-review the game the next episode. <laughs> so we'll talk about that next time, I guess. All right, all right. Sorry, gang. We've, we've. I think that's the only time we've had that kind of an issue in all the years of the podcast, right? It's the only time we've had one where it was like unusable. Yeah, yeah. Because we've had both of us have had weirdness happen with our audio. Like actually last episode you, before we figured out your cord was a little loose. It was, it was a little crappy for like the first three minutes, but yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh too much technology, man. Yeah. True that. All right. Well, it's now time for a quick break. And when we return, it'll be time for some late nineties synth rock before we uh, dive into the world of the X-Men. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was totally watching that the other day, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the scripts from that show actually hold up as as oddly topical by today's standards. Hmm. 
I've not watched it in a long, long like time. The, the first episode's just sitting there blatantly calling out racism. Hmm. Well, yeah. That's the next one for you. Yeah, no. I mean, it just makes you appreciate it, you know? Yeah. All right. Well, we will return in just a moment. Do you have a tabletop, board game, miniature game, or RPG that you're going to release for retail? Or do you have an upcoming tabletop Kickstarter that you're about to launch? We would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview. And welcome back from the break. It is now time for our next segment, our deep dive. And today we are deep diving Marvel X-Men United. In Marvel United X-Men, you take the role of iconic Marvel heroes cooperating to stop the master plan of a powerful villain controlled by the game. Each villain unveils their unique master plan with cards that trigger different effects and threats that pose challenges across the locations. Heroes must choose carefully the cards to play from their unique decks that not only offer different actions and superpowers to use, but also combine with the actions of other heroes to do the impossible. Build your storyline, unite your powers, and save the day. It's been a minute since we discussed the gameplay in this, so I I think it's important that we start this out by revisiting what is the same, right? Uh, We talked about this back in episode 98 unknown quantum state in November of 2020. So it's been almost two years since we uh, took our first trip on the Marvel United train. Holy crap, man. That was right before the election. Wow. Yeah. 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 Weird times, man. Weird Weird times. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was back when the timelines were still split before they'd rejoined. (laughs) I still feel we're in the dark timeline, man. There's still there's there's still a lot of work that needs to be repaired, but we're we're working on it. <laughs> You're not wrong. 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 I mean, I'm basically trapped in 1952 in this state. That's true. Yeah, a lot more true than one would hope, right? Mm-hmm. Which brings us, uh, of course, to um, part two of uh, episode 126's series of <laughs> Greg Abbott's. Thank you, Greg Abbott. Anyway, Jonathan, tell me how this game's played. <laughs> Not that I have any strong feelings on it. All right, so let's start out by by reminding ourselves of how Marvel United works, because there's a large portion of this game that is identical to the previous Marvel United release, and that's a good thing, because it means that they are interchangeable, which means that you can take all your Marvel United stuff, mix it with your Marvel United X-Men stuff, and have superpowered team-ups like everybody wants, which is dope. That, that makes me super happy. So the turn sequence uh, works like this. Uh, you you set up your, your play area, and in the center of your play area, you have uh, missions and the villain card. And the villain card is where a lot of the variation in the game uh, occurs. Each one of the villains is unique and different and has different gameplay mechanics associated with them, especially in the way they, they attack you. Uh, and then you have the three mission cards. And the base missions are um, generally always going to be the same, where you have to either knock out um, henchmen, save innocent people, or um, you have to close out areas by um, basically defeating everything on that card, including additional um, sub-villains, I guess for lack of a better term, uh, that can occur on those cards, uh, therefore making them a completely safe area, which means that you can um, collect a little skull icon to let you know. 
every game you choose six random locations. Uh, there are, I think, 12 in the base box, but that's one of the things that you get if you get into the expansions is you get additional locations. And each of those locations will have a different combination of um, starting villain, or pardon me, starting henchmen, starting innocents, and sometimes uh, even additional effects that can happen uh, and can be triggered by the supervillain. And those go in a ring around the center area. And then you play your cards uh, around it and you create this thing called the storyline. Because the storyline starts out with the villain starting something, right? Like like all, like any, any Marvel movie, the villain's always got to go and start something first. So the villain always goes first and you take the top card off of the villain's card deck and you play it and that tells you what to do with it. The villain will generally move, uh, sometimes clockwise, sometimes counterclockwise. Uh, the villain has the ability to trigger effects on the location that they land in if you have not cleared it. Um, and the villain also will sometimes uh, have the word BAM on their card, which indicates that they activate their superpower. And that can range from villain to villain. Again, that's one of the ways that we get variation in the game. After the villain goes, you your heroes get a chance to go, uh, and you play three hero turns. So the active player will have a hand of three cards uh, in their in their hand. They will draw a card, they will then play a card, and then they will resolve actions. As you build out the storyline with additional cards over time, uh, you'll get to the point where you get to play all of the symbols from the card in front of yours and all the symbols from your card, as well as any special text that is on your card when you add it. Uh, every single hero deck will have a mixture of uh, three different symbols. Punch symbols, which indicate that you are knocking out a henchman or not um, punching the, the supervillains, which takes one health away from them. Um, an arrow, which lets you move your character from around the locations trying to chase the villains or the supervillains and help to manage the number of henchmen and the number of innocents on each space. And then there's also a star icon. The star is a heroic action, which lets you basically rescue a civilian or place an, uh, a heroic action token on the space. Again, there are a set number of cards in every hero deck, and a couple of them will have some very character-specific text that only your character can use. So... Once you play it into the storyline, the next person will get to use the symbols off of your card, but they will not get to use your special unique power because that's just for your hero. All make sense so far? Yeah, it makes sense. Once you've completed all of your actions, you have the option, if you have liberated an area, of taking the location effect, which can be a really good bonus for you. Now, after you go three times, after three characters play one card each, the villain goes again. You take the top card off their deck and you resolve it just the way you did on the first turn. So that is how you go until you complete your first mission. And at that point, the villain starts to get more frantic, starts to act more quickly, and then the villain will go after every two turns from the heroes. So that is how you play Marvel United. It's how you played the first one, and it's how you play Marvel United X-Men as well. But because it's a sequel, sequels introduce stuff which is awesome. You get additional rules that were not in the original game. Now, in the original game, you had heroes uh, that were blue in color, and then you had villains, which were red in color. 
And in this one, you get to play as anti-heroes sometimes. These are purple uh, purple pieces, and like Magneto or Mystique, that play both sides of the field and will sometimes be a, a hero and sometimes be a villain. Um, and they come with both sets of cards so that you can play them as a hero or as a villain, which is exciting. There's also a new mechanic that's been introduced called Delayed and Accelerated. These are tokens that you add based on cards that come up that um, allow the villain to either take more turns, so accelerate uh, time so that the villain will, will move more often, or decelerate time, giving the heroes a chance to do more actions before uh, the villain goes again. There's a new mechanic of invulnerability that um, is a token that you can take with uh, certain characters that makes you invulnerable uh, for an entire turn so that you cannot take damage. There's a new supervillain mode, and in the supervillain mode, one player is actually going to control the villain directly and play against the heroes, meaning that you can play up to five players now, as opposed to the base game, which was originally four. Now, the villain is not only bolstered by the skill of the player, but you also get some really neat cards called supervillain cards that have really nasty stuff on them, like super nasty stuff for the heroes. The heroes get a few new uh, starting action tokens, as well as some additional superhero cards that help kind of balance against the human player uh, as the villain. It gives you another game mode. It gives you the ability to expand up to five players, and that's awesome. And that's just right in the base game for Marvel United X-Men. There's also a new single-player mode. There was a single-player mode in the original one. Um, this changes a couple of little things that make it a little more accessible, I think, and they're uh, a, a little more... I find it to be a little more fun. When you play in supervillain mode, there's no changes to the way the heroes work. They work the same way. They just get some better starting resources. But the, the villains play uniquely, and they're really interesting. Super fun to play. I really enjoyed it. In the solo mode... You get to choose three heroes and you actually shuffle their decks all together when you create your hero deck, which means that you're um, you're going to have to do some clever hand management, which makes it really, really interesting. And then there's a long list of special rules when you're doing it single player, but it's a totally serviceable and uh, uh, accessible mode. And again, it just adds another way to play the game uh, alone, which is great. You can even do supervillain versus Xavier. Uh, and then it becomes a 1v1 game, and that's really neat. Um, sorry, I should say that the solo game is called Xavier's Solo Game. So in this mode, where it's 1v1, uh, one player is playing the supervillain, and one player is playing the Xavier Solo Mode rules, and that, again, gives you another variation right in the box for no additional money without the need for any expansions, and all of the expansions and the characters that they bring in get to help support that mode, and that's awesome. So that is your basic gameplay and gameplay changes from Marvel United to Marvel X-Men. And of course, all of the United stuff is completely compatible uh, in either direction. So you can take your X-Men characters into your old locations and your old villains, or you can bring any of them into your X-Men game. It all works, which is really cool. And in the base box, you get six characters, two anti-heroes, and two villains. So you get Wolverine, Cyberclops, uh, Cyberclops, what the f***? <laughs> you get Wolverine, Cyclops, Storm, Jean Grey, Professor X, and Beast. 
you get Mystique and Magneto as your anti-heroes, and then as your uh, main villains, you get Sabretooth and Juggernaut. And that's a really good package for the base game. And it's really important to, to note that you can go to Amazon or you can go to Walmart, and Marvel United's a $35 game for the base game. In fact, I just looked on Amazon. It's on sale right now for $21. That's a lot of game with beautiful minis for 20 bucks. All right, so Jonathan, let me ask you this, because this is since we're doing the sequel game. Compared to the original iteration of the rulebook, how, how does this one improve things? It's a little more clear. It's a little more straightforward. I read the whole thing wondering if there had been changes made to the core rules. Uh, and I'm glad I did. I think that this explains things just a little more clearly for lack of a better term. Like I, I, I remember very clearly the first time I sat down with Marvel United, there was a, an aha moment that came about 15 minutes into the first game. And this one reading through the instructions, everything just seemed a little bit more clear. I, I think it was just a little bit of reorganization, you know? So you said there's heroes and anti-heroes and villains, right? Is, is, am I reading this correct? The heroes are blue, the anti-heroes are purple, and then the villains are, are red? Yes. So you, with the anti-hero, with the anti-hero, you get two sets of components. You get their hero deck, so that they play just like a hero. And then you get all the villain components, which is a villain deck of cards, and then um, a, a villain card for the center of the play area, which details out like how they move and how they attack you and stuff like that. All right, Jonathan. So we've talked about how much we love these minis to death a lot. Uh, any th is there anything off in the execution of this game? No, it's identical to Marvel United, which means it's all good news. In fact, they've expanded what they're doing with the figures where they have a lot of um, clear plastic on some yeah. of them. So yeah. like Human Torch is clear orange and um, Iceman is clear blue. And they have some fireball effects with pyro and like it's the just the phoenixes have phoenix fire. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's 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 just even one more level of immersion to, to make them more fun. What would be the recommended player count? I mean, I know there's a lot of modes, but let's just go with the base game. I mean, look, man, like the coolest thing about that this game does is it scales really well. So it works as a solo game. It works as a two player game in even if you just go the normal direction against the the AI villains or if you do superheroes versus supervillains like it works in both of those modes the addition of the five player mode is huge for me like that gives you the option and i say option very specifically because other games that don't give you the option mansions of madness first edition um are are not served well by that lack of option it actually hurts the game uh, in this one, having that as an option for players that don't mind getting into it a little bit more, it's, it's really interesting. And it actually gives you another challenge uh, as a, a person who's been playing it a lot. I mean, for this, this game has really resonated with my kids. So I've played a lot of Marvel United over the past year and a half. And the supervillain mode gives me a new way to challenge the rules and to, to challenge the game. Like, it's really, I've, I've been having just so much fun with this. All right, Jonathan, and you've got one last thing to say about this game. What is it? You will be hard pressed to find as much game for the dollar anywhere else. Like they keep these base sets at a reasonably low cost and you get so much gameplay out of out of your money's worth there. And it doesn't take up a ton of room unless you go crazy on the expansions like I did. 
the the core box has all that game and it's one of the smallest boxes on my shelf it's just so much fun too like that's that's the thing i keep coming back to other board games have cool gimmicks other board games have cool rule sets other board games challenge me mentally which is enjoyable this game is 100% condensed fun. It's been fun every single time I've played it. It's never let me down. Um, and I've, I'm having fun with my family playing with it, too. And the variations in character and the way they capture the essence of a character without compromising the very, very basic core rules is really neat and really clever. I, I just can't say enough nice things about this game engine. It's really quite brilliantly put together, and it's just a fun package and it's almost criminal how little they're charging for it i said almost it's not <laughs> all right well that is marvel x-men united or marvel united x-men sorry other way around oh my god the x-men are so freaking adorable too uh brought to you by simon games uh and it's available everywhere and jonathan loves it jonathan wants you to go buy it yeah i really do i i think it does a really good job of it's kind of like the Marvel movies, right? They're super fun, super accessible. There's enough in there for adults to love, but there's also just the right enough uh, of, of cute and fun for kids to latch on to, too. I mean, if I can sit down and play this with two nine year olds, a 13 year old and a 15 year old and a 44 year old and we all have the same amount of fun, that says something right on. All right, well, that brings us to the end of our deep dive, which means we are at the end of episode 126 of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Once again, join us on all of our digital domains. We chat a lot on the Discord. The Discord seems to be where everybody goes now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Which means, Robert, really, any final thoughts? You and I watch TikTok, yeah, right? We send each other TikToks. Yeah, yeah. it's good. It's good times. It's good times. Have you ever heard of a dude named uh, B. Dylan Hollis on the TikTok? No, I can't say I have. Okay. He, his his shtick is he uh, he cooks recipes from old cookbooks and then eats them. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I love him. Yeah, 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 yeah. For whatever reason, my, my boys... Moo juice. Moo juice, yeah. My boys love him, which is a little inappropriate sometimes because he does a little uh, innuendo. Oh, it's, it's nothing worse than a yeah, just TV a little. show. Just a little bit, just a little. It's a little inappropriate, but you know, most most of them are pretty tame. Although a few videos, he gets real randy. Um, anyway, so he did one video where he made a bean pie. I saw and, that. Yeah, and I was curious, and so something random happened. So oh, don't we, tell me you made it too. No, we didn't make it exactly. So it's even worse, Jonathan. It's even worse. Um, so. We've been doing this thing where uh, once a week, uh, my wife makes Korean food to expose the kids to Korean food and whatnot. And it's been a, it's been it's been a mixed bag. The kids really like some stuff. The kids really don't like some stuff. Uh, last recipe she tried, uh, she did a soy sauce soy sauce braised soybeans, which was a little too chewy for my taste, but it was still it was still it was still yummy. But anyway, she uh, she bought got these soybeans. We had so many soybeans left over. I'm like, I wonder if we can make these mofos into a pie. So. <laughs> I made today. As one does, as one contemplates right. at the end of a long day, can I, I make this into a pie? I, I made the pie, Jonathan. I made the soybean pie. And uh, it's, you know what? It's not it's not the best pie I've ever had. Far, far from it. It's Can't imagine che- why. Yeah, it's a little chewy. 
but um, you know, it's really it's not bad. I mean, it can't be bad. There's like a cup and a half of sugar in it. How can it be bad? And vanilla extract and cinnamon. But not a cup and a half of cinnamon, but spices. You get my meaning. But it's really funny. So uh, I cooked it. Is it herbs and spices? Because then you might have accidentally stumbled onto KFC's recipe. No, no. So I made it, and uh, uh, it was done basically uh, uh, for lunch. So, you know, Gina and I tried it for lunch. And uh, that pie is crazily filling. Like, it sat like a brick of, like, just fiber and protein in my stomach. And I could feel it in there for, like, hours just just sitting there. And I'm like, oh, my God, am I, like, plugged up or something? I went and... I got a drink of water. I drank coffee. I'm like, I need to get this, the soy moving, buddy. <laughs> so, but yeah, it was an interesting experiment. I'm not going to run out and do it again. However, if she decides to make that dish again and we have leftover soybeans, I will attempt to iterate on it. But yeah, I did make a soybean pie. It was fascinating and not terrible. It's edible. It's not great, but it's not bad. Like we're not going to throw it out. I'm, I'm going to have another piece tomorrow, I think for breakfast. Cause it, it's quite filling. <laughs> can't imagine why yeah next up on our list of things we definitely want to try are um oh shoot what was the other one we wanted to try that's based oh we're gonna do an impossible pie because he did that too i don't know if you've seen that one but it sounds which one's the impossible pie it's where you get a pie dish and then you just make this batter out of like you know coconut and some other stuff and you just bake it and it, it separates and forms into layers so it forms its own crust and interior and then you just eat it i don't think i've seen this one Oh, I'll send it to you. I'll send it to you. It's a good time. I, I love it when he stumbles upon these random recipes and he tries them and then like he gets to the end of the video and he tastes it and he's like, you can tell he's frustrated by how good it is when it was supposed to be garbage. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the sauerkraut cake and the pork cake were definitely in that. He made a cake out of pork and he said it was really good. And he's like, make it, make it as one of those things that sit on the table. Don't tell people what's in it until after they've all eaten it. <laughs> that could be considered betrayal for a, a vegetarian that's true that's true well you just put in big love not vegetarian <laughs> I mean technically my so- my soybean pie was not vegetarian or it wasn't vegan because I, I put a lot of milk into it because the soybeans were tough <laughs> All right. Well, that brings us to the end of the episode, which means be excellent to one another and party on, Robert. Party on, Jonathan. The music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elifiel. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you, 